0: Educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise. Balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, uh, we have Caitlin O'Shea with us from uh, Preservation and Pink. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So, uh, tell me a little bit about your background.
2: Well, let's see. I grew up on Long Island, New York. I have a undergraduate degree, a Bachelor's of Arts in Preservation, from the University of Mary Washington, formerly Mary Washington College, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I have a Master's degree in Preservation from the University of Vermont. I have, I guess, I categorize my professional career so far in three segments. I work for the U.S. Army as a civilian contractor um, for three years, and I have worked for the Vermont Agency of Transportation. I did that for about five years, and now I've worked for a consulting firm, BHB, for five years as well.
1: Okay. And what kind of consulting work do you do? Oops. I'm sorry, I muted oh. something was muted. Oh no. <laughs> uh, uh did you uh what uh what um type of consulting work do you do now?
2: I am a preservation planner, so oh. I primarily do reg regulatory work, section one oh six, section four F, and then uh state permitting as well.
1: Reviewing and 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 providing like specifications is that would that
2: be? Yes, I, I yeah. do a lot of infrastructure works. So as I work with a lot of engineers. So for example, a sidewalk project that go, is going through a historic village or historic district. I identify the historic properties based on the project's APE uh, area of potential effect and then assess if properties are historic and if the project will affect any any of those properties and if there are adverse effects Um, how do we resolve those effects and that's all to comply with section 106 of the national historic preservation act
1: and that gets triggered um just for people who aren't aware and i i've never actually dealt with a project that had to had to deal with it but it gets triggered when there's federal money involved and then there's there's um you're doing something that's maybe not directly related to the historic property is that correct
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's anytime a project has federal funding or requires a federal permit, um, uh, Section 106 is triggered.
1: Okay. So funding or permit. Yeah, there was a project in near near my house that was it was triggered because they had to do something with the interstate. So actually that saves the historic properties there. Yes, Otherwise it, it might that. not have.
2: <laughs> but that but is I, the beauty I, of it, yes. Yes,
1: yes. So, um, and I know you also have your, um, your newsletter and your blog, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit uh, later, but I guess that's extra beyond what you do at at work. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. um,
2: I I have two little girls right now, two little kids. uh, So my, my blogging days are not at their peak right now. Uh, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think, I think things like that wax and wane because you do, you have other priorities and and you need to take Mm -hmm. care of those now. So um, tell me, tell me a little bit about um, why you, why you chose preservation, what interests you or what, what drew you in? Sure. I,
2: I had never actually heard of the term preservation. I'll start with that Um, until I was looking for at colleges. Um, But I always loved history. I loved writing. I loved knowing what things used to be. I grew up in the same house that my mom grew up in, so she could always answer those questions for for me when we were on our family Sunday drives around Long Island. uh, And at the same time, I always wanted to live in, I guess, a small town where you could walk places. I grew up in what I call the ultimate suburbia, and I, I had a wonderful childhood, so there's nothing against that, but I just wanted to live somewhere where I could walk places.
1: Because the suburbs were not built to be walkable; (laughs) they were built for everybody to have a car and drive. (laughs) And and we did. We could walk to
2: elementary school, and that was it. Every we drove to the beach, we drove to the stores, we drove, you know, any anywhere we had to go. And then my grandmother lived in this little town called Point Lookout, New York, and it was like ten blocks by three blocks, and you could walk to the grocery store, you could walk to the library, you could. We did everything on foot or by bike, and to me, that was ideal. So you have that, I had that desire to find a kind of a walkable community with a community feel. And I loved reading read it, um, history and writing. And then one day I'm sitting there with my mom, I was 17 or so, looking through her civil service test book that she had. And the phrase historic preservation was on that page. And it sounds ridiculous, but a light bulb went off in my head. I saw that phrase and I said to myself, that's what I want to do. I oh, don't know that, what that is, uh, yes. But that's it. And then I found the seven undergraduate programs in the country at the time, and mm-hmm. looked at them, and ended up at Mary Washington, uh, which I, I loved. It it was just this wonderful umbrella of preservation, and it just it sucked me in. <laughs> preservation really <laughs> really drew me in.
1: Yes, yes. Well, that I think that's great, and I think I. I, I look at, you know, when you're that age, you feel like you're grown up. You really do. You feel like yeah. you know everything. and, and, and I, But I, I look at I look at the kids that I know that are that age or maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger. It's really not fair to make people decide what they want to do at this age. Yeah. They, they don't Crazy. have it figured out. <laughs> I, I decided to go to culinary school right out of high school. I had been accepted to college and I was like, I was March of my senior year I was laying on the sofa at home sick and I saw a picture for or a commercial for a pastry chef program I'm like that's what I'm gonna do So, (laughs) my parents parents freaked out a little bit and I did that for a few years it was fun but then I'm like I don't want to do this forever so (laughs) that's a
2: tough uh, field to be in yeah it
1: is so I, I I get the light bulb and but I'm glad that it worked for for you and 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 you found something that you were passionate about. And I think that you can definitely see from your writings and from your postings that you are, you are very passionate about preservation. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I, and one of the, I, and I wrote it in my notes. Um, one of the things that I loved on your, um, on your website was that you say that you like to connect everyday life to historic preservation because i think a lot of people think it's like something that's like way above you know like it's it's museums it's it's things that people don't do but it 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 can be everyday life and and i think that that's Mm -hmm. something that people don't think about because when you're if you if your goal is just to retain historic fabric you can do that without making your house a museum so I, I really think yeah. that, that you can make it accessible, and I, I think that's really important. I think I think that that's changing. But even when I started, I, I've worked full time in um, almost 20 years in in preservation, and mm-hmm. and even when I started, it was a, it was mostly older people, uh, much older than me, and they were you know they were you know it was it was going for museum quality, and I've seen that shift of going more towards maintenance, and I don't know if you've seen that too um in in your work and in your experience.
2: Yes, that that's a perfect point. I I felt when uh, so I graduated college in 2006 and at the time even the National Trust conferences at the time didn't feel very friendly to students and young professionals and it was just it was more um because it felt scarier, more regulatory related or just following the standards, uh, the Secretary of Interior standards, um, and, and museum quality. And so that's, how long is that now? 14 years later. Um, in especially in the past five years, I'd say, I've really seen a change with the uh, popularity of Instagram increasing and in other social platforms where people are just kind of c- connecting to preservation in different ways and appreciating their historic neighborhoods or their small downtowns or their large you know vibrant cities whatever it may be and that i think that's helping people see that preservation is not this scary field telling you what to do it's really valuing what
1: what you have Um, right yeah i agree and there's a um and it's it's probably almost 10 years old now there was a young, young woman that worked for the trust, the national trust, and she did a Ted talk. And it was about how like, you might not even realize you're a preservationist, but you are. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, 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 that really spoke to me then. And I think that if more people looked at that, they might not even realize that they're into historic preservation, but they are because they do these things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so tell me a little bit about, about preservation and pink is that is, was that kind of what 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 made you start to to document your journey through preservation preservation it's a long story
2: so okay <laughs> I'm you the, the fully detailed story but uh as I said I went to Mary Washington I love the program and my classmates my good friends and I we would find ourselves studying late at night and having coffee conversations about preservation and how we could save the world mm-hmm. with preservation in that young, you know, wonderfully optimistic undergraduate spirit. Um, and when I graduated, we, we, or when we read, graduated, we were scattered. We, you know, some of us were in Europe. I was in North Carolina. We had, friend, had friends of Virginia. We were just all over. We could no longer meet in one place and have those conversations that we loved and that really drove our passion and I at the same time I started a job as an oral history project manager at Fort Bragg in North Carolina and I loved oral history but it was the only thing I did at my job and I really missed the other aspects of preservation So I needed something and I, I, you know, I was 21 when I graduated college. I, I didn't have any kids, you know, you have a lot of free time when you're 21. Um, yeah, you so do. I needed something to do. <laughs> so I, thought, I thought, I know I'll start a newsletter about preservation and just email it to everybody I know. Uh, so I did. And the first newsletter it was in 2007 that was purely just me. I might've had one friend write one small article for me, but I just wanted to show everybody, uh, like, hey this is what I'm doing do you want to participate this is what I miss talking about or do you want to join me and then the next newsletter I had a few more people write for me and and I say for me it was really as a favor I didn't I never made any money off of it I never, right. <laughs> I tried to I didn't I didn't pay anybody we were all just young and had free time um,
1: right. and sharing and, ideas.
2: yeah and it was so wonderful to read what people were, were writing And then the the newsletter was a a lot of work, which I liked, but it was such a long time between uh, publications, publications, I say in quotes, (laughs) um, that I thought, oh, well, blogging is kind of new. Let me start a blog so I can at least connect with people in smaller doses and I don't have to do it only twice a year. And I guess the blog started about the same time, 2007, as a placeholder for the newsletter uh, Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and it just kind of continued from there. I I loved documenting what I saw. I was inspired by my travels and my work and news articles and just companies that had preservation-minded missions or people working for them. And that, yeah, it, it just <laughs> it kept going and going because I, I always had something to say. And while I still do now, always had something to say. Um, <laughs> It's no, not, and and
1: really I, I find that too when, when I'm doing our, our content creation for our marketing mm-hmm. is I'll find an article or something and I'm like, well, I want to talk about that. So I can just like, you know, write mm-hmm. about this story and then tell you why I think you should do it this way. <laughs> yes. It's, it's uh, a good
2: public platform.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. So I, I get that. And, and I think that I actually just saw, um, I have a, a good friend who's an, a writer, like uh, she writes fiction Uh, novels and she she posted on on social media a couple weeks ago I just read two books for fun and I didn't even like think about where I was going to post it or write about it and I think I think there's like that trap like you see interesting things and you don't necessarily have to share it with everybody (laughs)
2: right yeah that is that, that would probably be tied to that Netflix documentary right now, The Social Dilemma. <laughs>
1: oh, bit. yes. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but but you're the second person that's mentioned that to me. So I'll, it's fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to yeah, <laughs> watch it. So your purpose was just kind of to share your, to continue the conversation with your classmates. Did you get a wider distribution then? Or I guess when you started blogging, you did?
2: I did. Well, yeah. I had emailed, emailed the newsletters to everybody I knew, so <laughs> whoever read my email, um, and slowly, it, it, I guess more people found it. I, at the time, I don't think there were other preservation blogs. Right. Um, so there was really nowhere to go find this friendly, sometimes silly mm-hmm. preservation information on the internet. Uh, it was more official. Right. And I remember in the early days when I was writing blog posts, I'd do it with the, the uh, attempt to connect to my younger sisters who... Uh, the youngest one is six years younger than me, but she, you know, she was not a preservationist. She studied exercise science. But if she <laughs> could relate to what I wrote right. and say, "Oh, I see what you mean," and then I considered that a success. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how I approached it in the beginning. And then, as more and more preservationists, I guess, found it, or um, just people interested in preservation found it, um, it really, I made wonderful friends. Um, because of it, I met a lot of people at conferences who said, "Oh, I read your blog. I love it," I, or "I found this really interesting." And it it just warmed my heart that people yeah. enjoyed what uh, what I was writing and that we could connect based on that. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I I think that that is that is very um, very gratifying that people appreciate the effort that you put in and that you're the information that you're sharing. I I I find that I find that also. Um, did you focus on certain topics or did you, did you just kind of do preservation as a wide umbrella? Definitely
2: as an umbrella.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I always thought that more people could connect to preservation if they knew that it, it related to architectural history and museums and planning and even, you know, home restoration and
1: mm-hmm. economic factors. And, nice. you know, it goes on and on and on. And ma- yeah, making, and, and maybe things that people are interested in that they maybe didn't even realize were preservation, so then you're, you're, you're introducing it as another thing, but it's already something that they were, they were interested in.
2: Yes, le- letting them know, hey, you, you like this idea, or you agree, well, this is part of preservation, so right. we, you know, we have
1: this common ground. Yeah. So, um. And I know you said you've taken a step back. Uh, I know you're still pretty active on Instagram, though. Is that you're just not blogging as much? Is that correct?
2: Yes. Okay. I I love blogging. I I just, it sounds cliche, I don't have the time right now to do it like I used to. I, no, I have two and, little kids. I work, you know, it's life in 2020 is crazy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and, and, you, and, and the little ones will only be this age once. So I think yeah. that's great to... To spend time with them rather than my mom was always yelling at me while she was typing up her blog. I know. <laughs> that sounds like a story I, know. I
2: know. <laughs> Yeah, I probably do that enough with my regular work. I don't need yeah. to, add in <laughs> to add work.
1: So, what, um, what trends or ch- and, or challenges do you see in preservation, either from your work or from your just your 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 life in preservation?
2: I think one well the, the same challenge that's been around is still there the, the fact for preservation the fact that people believe these myths about the national register are about historic preservation and that's just you know the that the national register will tell you what to do with your house when really right. it's not true the national register is actually protecting your house from federal action um, but that's just a matter of constant education i think yeah. um i think one New uh, challenge, I guess, that we just we touched upon briefly, is the I call it the purest versus the versus mm-hmm. the practical. Uh, you know, how many ideas from the 1960s and 70s of preservation can we still apply in 2020? Um, and that's not to say they were all bad, but that's certainly not to say they were all good either. Right. Uh, and and that goes too with restoration. Um, you know, people are if they're caring for their homes, it's slightly changing their property. You know, where's the line between good preservation and not good preservation? I don't have the answers for all of these. Well, um, and
1: I and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer either. I think it depends on the true. property and and the and the and the owner. But I know that that's. Um, I we see projects probably that were done 40 or 50 years ago that were early restorations. And they're very, some of the solutions are very different than what we would recommend now. And it's Mm -hmm. not that they did them wrong. It's just that they didn't have all of the, the maybe they didn't have all the research and, and everything else that we have now. So like, I think there's that balance too, that we just have to sometimes admit that we don't have all the answers. (laughs) Yeah. That is (laughs) a good trait to have. Yeah. (laughs) So but and and and, you know, sometimes we see solutions on projects that like, oh, if we had known that, you know, several years ago, that would have been another solution that we could have applied here rather than, you know, the way that we did it. Not that it was wrong. That's why I don't like and and this is just me personally. I don't like going in and to my, you know, just taking me through the house and like this contract do this, what do you think? I don't like to stand there and criticize because I don't know what reasoning there, unless it's something that's really egregious I don't, right, I, don't yeah. I don't know what their reasoning was for why they did it that way because there's multiple ways to do things not that yeah you know, yeah yeah so I I agree I think there are some people though that are are, are are purists but there's I think at least in in the private sector um there's less people that are want to live in a museum so then we we're we're, mm-hmm. we're we're doing those compromises pretty regularly,
2: yeah, yeah. It, it is a, I think it's a good trend uh, of change and kind of i't don't, I don't know that lo- loosening up is the correct term, but I'd say being more inclusive of
1: right, right. property well, you, types
2: yeah. and people yeah.
1: and if you can help people to understand why they shouldn't rip out all their windows or they shouldn't you know change all the trim just because they you know they want to do something different. Like, Mm -hmm. that, those are, those are things that will help the, the building in the long run. Um, whereas if you, you know, but if, if you want to make, you know, the house more livable for you and you want to redo the kitchen, I mean, then I, I, you know, I think there's, there's, those balances. Like, you know, there's some rooms in the house that always get updated, but you can keep the historic bathroom. And I think that yeah, that's where yeah. you kind of need to need to need to have that balance. And so I think it is hard from a from a preservation standpoint, because I think you are going against the marketing of you just need new materials. You just need new of whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that I think but I think that making it more accessible does does help that. And it's great. I think that that's the other thing that we need to like have that intersection of, of, of sustainability and, and preservation also. Yeah, and how people uh,
2: realize that. Related to materials and probably what you do um, with practical preservation um, and, and fabric. So I, my husband and I purchased a fixer-upper. We live in Burlington, Vermont. Um, we just moved in in December. And right before everything was crazy. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right before the second baby came, right before the world shut down. Um, and our house is full of lead. Oh yeah. Dust, yeah. and the windows are cased in lead and it's scary the effects of lead yeah. to little children. Yeah. So before li- being a parent in a historic house with windows that were covered in lead and really in right. crummy condition, yeah. I would have never said take out your windows and replace um, them. Yeah. But but we are because oh, yeah. the yeah. the dust is is too damaging yeah. and can, can't can't be is. undone. It yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it can and and to to you would have to pay somebody to take them out and strip them off site because I wouldn't want to strip them with little ones in the house yeah yeah so I I, I completely from a safety standpoint I and mm-hmm. I think and I, that's something else that we talked about and actually I was at a project um this morning looking at, at a, a house that they had just bought last week and the there was no handrail from the first floor to the second floor and it oh, didn't no, look geez. like there ever had been one it was like it was like there was half like there was a wall half of the way but the rest of the way it didn't it mm-hmm. I couldn't see any evidence in the tread where there had ever been a stairwell and I said if an inspector comes in they're gonna talk to you about putting a railing in a railing, yeah. I said because this is dangerous Not <laughs> yeah, for anybody yeah, yeah but and safety needs to safety definitely needs to come first and I, I think that that's something that a purist might you know pull their hair. Out. yeah but but I do I I mean there there are some things that I think that you can if it's been shown to be safe you know then you could make that argument that it is safe but I think yeah especially with small children and lead it is it is damaging I I yeah
2: we are putting back wood windows wood two over twos yes granted they won't last 120 years like these are old windows but we can we'll be able to open them dust free which will be
1: wonderful well (laughs) and and, they'll match yeah (laughs) I was um we have we have the windows that, that our house was built with which is almost 100 years old and um I was I was someplace and I was Helping clean, and I they had they had new windows, and it, they tipped in to clean, and I'm like, this is so nice. And then I and then I said to myself, Danielle, it doesn't matter because you don't clean your windows anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I clean the front window where the dogs hang out and, the, and where there's all the dog yeah. friends, but other than that, the rest of the windows are <laughs> right. It's t-
2: tantalizing,
1: yeah. uh, perhaps
2: convenience, and then you don't need it anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't matter. I'm right
1: <laughs> so is there anything that you um that you thought about while we were talking that you want to share or um that you maybe that crossed your mind
2: uh one I, I don't know if it's a challenge but it's a sure. topic that comes up from time to time is the idea of a a certification kind of for preservation and like kind of like uh-huh. engineers have or architects have I I wish as a field we could address that and. I would love to see one, at really, not to diminish those who are preservationists, but not um, academically trained, right. but really right. in the professional realm for those of us who do have the degrees and are working with contractors or engineers or you right. know, whoever it might be, to say, this is a real field. We studied for this.
0: And,
2: um, yeah. there, there is some science involved, depending on which track you take. Right. But
1: You feel, uh, um, and, and and I've seen that, that discussion do you feel like that would um give you like a little bit more credibility with like dealing with the designers and and those people is that is that what you is that why you think that it would be a good idea or is it just more of a recognition i think
2: no it would definitely give more credibility uh, especially working in the regulatory field i think it would also kind of maybe not level out the playing field, but make sure everyone is getting the same sort of basic preservation theory from different programs, mm-hmm. and so we all have that that foundation. Uh, yeah. That that would be nice. Yeah.
1: No, and, and yeah, and I I think as an academic program, I mean I know there's some that have been around a while, but there's more and more programs coming up that I've yeah. that I've noticed, and I I so I think that that I think that probably is is a good idea, and that's probably where it's headed. I know I've heard of um i've I've seen the discussion of like well then what about like the crafts people and stuff and i think that's a little bit different i know that there are certification programs like through like regular the the remodeling magazine has like cert you can be a certified kitchen designer you can be you know all these different things but um i don't i think that's more theory and and for for doing academic work and doing that's that makes sense but just, the, just, I don't know if it, I don't know if having a certificate program for like trades people is necessarily the right answer, but then I get upset that this is, that there was that, we have a really good trade school here in Lancaster, um, it was started by Thaddeus Stevens, it's Thaddeus Stevens um, college, oh, college of, I, I think it's College of Something now, uh, <laughs> but um, they, um, they, they had a preservation program that they had done with the state office of historic preservation and it was bothering me because it was only like an eight-week program i'm like there's no way you can teach somebody how to be a trades person in eight weeks like your your intentions are good but you're just gonna send people out and they're gonna be scary (laughs) i think i think it needs to be like maybe an apprentice type program that's like has structure over multiple years something like that like i I don't think you can turn people out in a certificate program (laughs)
2: yeah that's that's pretty quick yeah. <laughs> but i agree with you the trades would be very different i guess more certificate for yeah. dare i say the the paperwork part of it
1: but i i can see i can see why that would be um important and and maybe and also i think continuing education is important i think continuing education is important for everybody yeah. um because there's so many things that if you just stay in your own little bubble you don't see all the other stuff that's going on that maybe could even help the work that you're doing. So I, I think that yeah. I think that I think I think continuing education is very important for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um how can someone contact you? Or how should they follow you? How like where where can they find you?
2: Uh, if somebody just wants to chat with me, email is okay. is the easiest probably. Uh, my email is CaitlinO'shea at gmail.com spell that k-a-i-t-l-i-n-o-s-h-e-a at gmail.com okay
0: uh and on social. social
1: yeah i was going to ask you about your social
2: oh sure uh the web my blog website is www.preservationinpink.com that'll take you right to it and my instagram is at um, Present pink p-r-e-s-i-n-p-i-n-k I do have Twitter okay. but since the 2016 election I've not used it so. okay
1: that's fine we don't have to <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we'll make sure that those are all on our site where we where we host it so that people can you know if they if they hear this and want to find you they can go there too if they didn't catch it while, they, while we were um, well you know while you were talking um well thank you very much for for coming on with me today I, I enjoyed it oh thank you me too i'm flattered and uh it was lovely
2: to meet you even via okay. zoom
1: yeah,
2: nice
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to the practical preservation podcast the resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.